following podcast is sponsored by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. The following podcast will spoil for you, the listener, Infinity War, Endgame, Jaws, Jaws 2, Jurassic Park, The Meg, WAP featuring Megan Thee Stallion, Jaws 4, Revenge, Sharknado, Sharktopus vs. Terracuda, and Citizen Kane. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups, you know? It's kind of like old squares in a battle, like uh, you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, and that man, he'd start pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you. Right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living till he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white. And then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red. In spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. With me, as always, is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week is my very good friend, actor, and cinephile, Chris Behan. Chris, why don't you tell the audience, what movie are we talking about today on Robots vs. Dinosaurs? We are talking about one of the greatest movies of all time, which is Jaws. Jaws, the 1975 Steven Spielberg blockbuster classic, the movie that arguably created the term blockbuster. Uh, Absolutely. Summer blockbuster. Summer blockbuster. That's a good distinction. Something I want to sort of establish. In the first episode, we covered a robot movie called Big Hero 6. In that episode, I don't think I talked enough about the goal of this podcast. We are, of course, trying to determine which is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. The approach that we're taking is unpacking sci-fi movies one at a time by the guest's choice. And the movies always feature a robot, a dinosaur, or both. And that allows us to go through the following questions that we're going to cover in this podcast. What is a robot? What is a dinosaur? Chris, what is your favorite moment of this movie? Also, there's going to be a section, uh, something I think you don't know about this movie. I have some things that I think you might not know, and I hope that um, you might have some trivia, or if not trivia, just something that I, I definitely wouldn't know because it's a personal story to you. The last section is going to be, does this movie represent its featured thing well? Does the If it's a robot, does the robot look cool? If it's a dinosaur, does the dinosaur look cool? Alternatively, does it look lame? Uh, If there are both, which one wins? Which one looks cooler? (laughs) Yeah, I think these questions are great. So we can, yeah, let's get started. This is great. Let's uh, sink our teeth into this. What do you say? Indeed. Indeed. Let's do it. That's that's not going to be the last one. It's not going to be the best one either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure that people are going to want to know, in a podcast called Robots versus Dinosaurs, why did we pick a shark movie? Uh, So Chris, what is a robot? And what is the robot in this movie? Well, a robot is obviously not a human, meaning a homo sapien. It is it is a it is a 
mechanical creature. In some cases, they are made to look like humans. You know, we get movies like Terminator where they are cyborgs. Robots are creatures, things that are made to look like humans. The, the main thing is that they are controlled by humans. Ah, so they're well, I don't controlled know. I don't know. I mean, my, my definition of robot may be different nowadays because robots, there, there are robots everywhere. Let's unpack that. Where do you see robots everywhere? Roombas. So a Roomba, a Roomba qualifies as a robot, yes? I mean, what do you think? I think it's, I, I think that absolutely qualifies as a robot. Let's go through your definition. Uh, the first part of your theory, definition was non-human. Siri is a rob is basically a, it's basically a robot. Okay, Siri Siri is a good one because on our last on our last episode we talked a little bit about her and we decided we're gonna we're gonna cover her in a later episode because the question was does a robot need to have a physical body? So you said right. Siri is a robot. I personally agree with that. Um, an AI whether it there's has a, a physical body or not, is a robot. And there's a lot of movies that cover this. Uh, Ex Machina. Yes. Ex Machina covers that. I mean, the entire Avengers series covers it because, you know, Tony Stark has this whole Jarvis thing, Friday. Um, yeah. That leads me to the second part of your definition, which is, uh, or maybe not the second part, but one part of your definition was they're not human, but they're controlled by humans. I think it's interesting that you said that because often what we see in sci-fi movies about robots is the fear of us losing that control. Right. It's it's when it's that moment, the singularity, uh, the robots become self-aware, the AI reaches an inevitable conclusion in its, in its programming or its calculations, and it's decided it would be better suited to be its own master than to work for us. This is something that has been coming up for years and years and years. It doesn't really directly relate to Jaws, but it kind of does because in the movie Jaws, there were three mechanical sharks that they had working on this movie. And all three of them were just going awry the entire time they were they were filming. The idea of robots or cyborgs or whatever, you know, uh, you know, the AI like going going wrong. This is an idea that's been coming up for years and years and years that it's been written about. We've seen it in movies and we love it. You know, 2001, uh, The Matrix and Terminator. And even I, I, I will link it to Jaws just because it, it has mm -hmm. something to do with the, the production of the movie because it has to do with the physical sharks themselves. There were three sharks on the on the on that movie that they built, the studios built to to um, to shoot the movie. And they there were all kinds of problems and all kinds of different things that were going wrong with them. And yeah, Steven Spielberg sure. nicknamed them uh, Bruce, by the way. Bruce was acting up. In Finding Nemo, the, the shark that Marlin and Dory encounter is named Bruce, and that's an homage to Bruce from Jaws. Jaws was a very storied, film shoot and i think it's i think it's a uh, pretty well known that um it was riddled with issues with the mechanical shark they were using i do think it's a very interesting choice today because it's a very good illustration of us trying to uh we built a robot uh we being you know steven spielberg and and his film production crew <laughs> um but humans we achieved this level of technology in the 1970s where we built a robot that could swim in the water and act like a shark and be a, a star on, on film. And it didn't want to obey our commands. It did not listen to us. It did not want to comply. I don't think it became self-aware, but 
it's, it proves that the more we try to put a leash on technology, especially when we're trying to mimic nature with technology, the more it's going to run away from us, or in this case, swim away from us. It's interesting because it, it sort of mirrors the movie in a way. The movie is, is a, it's a man versus nature movie. And I use that term, you know, I don't want to say man versus nature, but mankind versus nature. There were so many problems making this movie. Shooting on water, problems with the studio because there's like, there's not enough money because this is the, like, nobody knows who this person is. Steven Spielberg, who's that? This is, this is like, you know, the second movie that he had ever made. So you got the water thing, you got that, and you got getting everyone to buy into this whole thing. What do you mean by that? You you have these incredible actors, Roy Scheider and Robert Shaw, maybe even yeah, Lorraine the, Gray and some of the some of the other people. I, I think it's funny we got three R's for the main stars: Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, Robert Shaw. <laughs> Oh, I, I, you know, I never thought about that. That's really funny. I, I noticed triple, it in the opening credits of the movie. Triple R rating. Yeah. <laughs> What is this movie rated? Well, is it, it rated before R? The, it was before the R rating. It was like Gremlins and Temple of Doom in the mid-80s. Right. They were it's the ones, PG. they were the movies that brought about the PG-13 rating. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's, it's so weird that Jaws is PG considering what happens in it. But we're we're going to get into some crazy stuff that happens in this movie. Crazy, like crazy violent movie. I mean, not, not mm. super violent, which is one of my favorite things about the movie is that it's not overtly violent. It's all, everything's really implied and not seen. And it's because they had so many problems with this robot. Mm-hmm. It's the psycho effect. Or the three, um, the three, there were, th- there were three robots that were created mm-hmm. for the movie. It's the psycho effect. In Psycho, I think there's something like a hundred edits, a hundred cuts in that shower scene with the stabbing. Not once do you see the blade pierce her skin so it's all just implied and so in jaws yeah so the story that that i'm familiar with and i'd like if you know more about this please fill us in the the intention of how the shark was going to be featured was very different from what we ended up with because they were expecting the shark to be much more functional and to be much more uh, fully featured they were going to show its whole body a lot more but they weren't able to so as i said before there were three sharks that they built i heard a funny story just sort of prepping for this this podcast martin scorsese george lucas and steven spielberg they went over to one of the studios where they were like building the sharks building the bruces Mm -hmm. they convinced george lucas to like put his head into one of the sharks and then they ran over grabbed the controls and like had the shark clamp down on George Lucas, they didn't know this at the time, but the sharks were so volatile, the robots anyway, were so volatile mm-hmm. that he got stuck. And then oh they all gosh. just ran out of the building. <laughs> so that happened later on Jurassic Park, on the set of Jurassic Park with the T-Rex. The oh, really? scene where Timmy and Lex are in the in the car in the Jeep, the T-Rex like smashes the plexiglass sunroof down on top of right. them. That only happened because they had a, it was raining in that scene as well, and they had this big hydraulic mechanical T Rex head, and the rain <laughs> made, <laughs> it like up messed up the mechanics of the of and the it, robot. Yeah, and apparently the thing was notorious for like having like unexpected jerky motions every once in a while, and that happened in that scene. It wasn't supposed to smash through all the way, so it actually did like for a moment trap those kids down there, and that was genuine terror. 
that you're seeing on their faces. I wonder, is that is that in the movie? Because there's a lot of stuff in Jaws yes. that was like, they had so many problems shooting the movie that it's like uh-huh. they they just they just like one take and moved on. A lot of the stuff that was like a snafu is like in the movie and it's totally timeless and it's it's wonderful. I think that we have answered the question of what is a robot as it pertains to this movie. The answer I'm going with for Jaws is part of the definition of a robot. We're we're building it piece by piece, just like a robot, uh, is something that is not human and humans, I'm going to say attempt to get it to obey them. Uh, it does what humans, or it, it often does what humans want it to do until it doesn't. So does this movie answer our other question, which is what is a dinosaur? Chris, before we get into that, in Big Hero 6, in my review of that with my friend Gina, we proved which I've, that- Which I've never seen. No spoilers, but um, you have seen Big Hero 6 because you've seen Spider-Man. In, in that podcast, you can go back and listen to it uh, after you've seen Big Hero 6 because we spoil the hell out of it. But in that podcast, I proved that Big Hero 6 is Spider-Man, and that's not even a bad thing. It's 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 a good... You know how Into the Spider-Verse was Spider-Man, but just five, it's, five different times? It's, an, en- it's an endearing love letter, and it's... it's Yeah. Jaws is half of the Avengers. If not the Avengers, it's half of the Avengers. I'm going to get into it. I'm just are you talking? So laying, you're talking about the three? Are you talking about the three guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm laying the groundwork for that. We're going to circle back to that, Chris. Right. What is a dinosaur? Does the movie Jaws answer that question the way it does? What is a robot? So what is a dinosaur, and does Jaws answer that? Well, it didn't answer the first question. I just kind of came up with that. And forgive me if it was a weird answer, but uh, not at all. No, the question. What the is question a dinosaur? It, um, it, we're not going it, for a dictionary definition. It's does your viewing of this movie give you a piece of a definition of like when you think of robots, when you think of dinosaurs and, and does the robot from this movie or whatever from this movie come to mind? Well, to backtrack, I will say that it, it, it actually doesn't. I, uh, I don't think of robots when I think of, uh, this movie. Do you think of um, dinosaurs? I do think of dinosaurs because uh, shark is prehistoric creature. The shark in this particular movie is ridiculously huge. I mean, bigger than any shark that I think has been seen like ever. What is it? Qu- uh, Quince twenty foot. Quince says he's like. Well, <laughs> Hooper Hooper comes down and he's he's like that's twenty footer, and then uh, Quince says twenty five, three tons of them. So I'm like, so I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, 25 foot shark. That sounds pretty prehistoric to me. Yeah, it's it's uh, a, and the whole point is that you know this is this is a movie and it's big Hollywood, you know, and all that. That sounds pretty prehistoric to me. There, yeah, there's a couple of things about the shark. What I think is interesting. Do you know that the the movie is based on a book written by Peter Benchley? who Indeed. writes a lot of books about, not a lot, but he, his his theme tends to be monsters from the sea. Uh, he has another one called Beast. It's this sort of like squid, uh, octopus, like hybrid monster. Um, yeah, but anyway, it's, like, it's like Cthulhu, uh, you know, type stuff, you know? It, it's more of like a science experiment than a fantastical, like heaven and hell kind of, kind of thing. He's more of a Michael Crichton type of writer, which 
Later, right. Steven Spielberg will adapt uh, Michael Crichton novels into sci-fi movies. So Peter Benchley is sort of like a good, maybe precursor to Michael Crichton. They were sort of contemporaries too. By the way, he was he was in the movie. Peter Benchley was. Yeah, I, I found that out on IMDb. Who yeah. was he? It's the 4th of July and they open the beaches and there's a reporter that's there mm. and he just says like, the beaches are open, but there was, a, there was a cloud over Amity right now, a cloud in the shape of the killer shark. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. He's the reporter. I love that. John uh, John Williams was in the most recent Star Wars movie. Wait, yeah. was he? Uh, he was in The Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, he was like a bartender or something when they walked into um, that planet. They had to find Poe Dameron's girlfriend, the... Zori Bliss. Yeah. So Peter Benchley is, he, he knows his stuff when it comes to marine biology. And uh, I mean, he writes fiction about it, but I've never, I've never read his books. I've, I, I just it's know this movie and that's it. It's a very good book that, that the movie's based on. And uh, Peter Benchley is, his science is pretty good. And, and the movie actually, especially with Cooper, with Richard Dreyfuss's character, they do talk about the science of sharks, the, the, their nature, their behavior. And it's all fairly accurate. And what's interesting is this is very much a classic Hollywood monster movie in the sense that this is not a normal shark and they call that out several times. It's not like this is an unusual shark. This is a shark that doesn't exist in nature. And the movie acknowledges that. Like Quint acknowledges that. Hooper acknowledges that. This is like nothing that should exist in the real world. It doesn't behave the way a shark should. It doesn't behave the way a predator should. So it's it's something monstrous. It's not natural. Another argument though, is that it is very na- natural and that it's prehistoric. Uh, I think that this thing, I don't think it's fair to say in the context of this podcast that it is a dinosaur, but I think it's fair to assume that this particular shark ate dinosaurs. One of my favorite scenes where, where uh... Brody is sitting with his son and they're like mimicking the, he, he's mimicking his, his, uh, his motions. And it's this very, uh, wonderful scene. Then Hooper, Hooper comes in and then, uh, Ellen Brody comes in and they're all sort of sitting around and they're talking about sharks sort of getting to know Hooper it, in that, in that dinner scene. That's, that's the first time you hear this, this sort of term for, uh, the type of shark that this could be. They don't know what type of shark it is, but Hooper says, Hooper says it's a, it's a rogue because sharks travel, you know, they travel together. They go down whatever currents and they, you know, they go off the currents and stuff like that. But there, there, uh, there are these rogues that go off like on their own. This whole movie is based on, some because I grew up in Jersey and I've been going the the whole reason I'm obsessed with this movie is because I was I was going to the Jersey Shore as a kid every summer mm-hmm. so I've been swimming in the ocean every summer like an entire childhood in the Atlantic specifically because right yeah um man I I grew up on the east coast as well the shoreline of Connecticut yeah. and going to the beach this movie is I'm glad you picked this movie because this movie was very, very influential for me as a kid for in a lot of ways because yeah, freaked um, me out. I grew up in, in a very similar environment. When we went to the beach, the beach looked like the beaches in this movie. It wasn't until, mm-hmm. honestly, I was maybe like 10 or 11 years old that I went to Florida for the first time. And that's the first time I knew that beaches 
looked different. Some like ha- had like oh, you, you know see, palm trees and like sun you and see, like, you see very very clear waters, mm-hmm. very low tides. Yeah, you know all that's all that stuff. And I've been, I've been to I've been to Florida. I've been to you know one of my favorite beaches of all time was uh, Siesta Key, Florida. Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to, and it's just like you could walk out like. 200 yards maybe and there's fish swimming around and you can see right into the water no beaches beaches in in the northeast aren't like that they're oh, they're they're, they're murky. cold yeah they're cold and murky which is which they're is ominous fun. i yeah. find them ominous yeah i don't i don't relax at the beach on the northeast i, I just <laughs> and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a water person so this movie really influenced me as a kid i um me too. I, it gave me a very healthy both respect and fascination uh, and fear at the same time of the, the deep and the ocean and especially like stuff I can't see under the water, which is why I like the Pacific Ocean so much more <laughs> for all the reasons you said. I It not only made me more really fascinated with movies, and Steven Spielberg is uh, my absolute favorite director. Oh, yeah. I haven't covered Jurassic Park. Yeah, I haven't covered Jurassic Park yet on this podcast, but obviously. Oh, you got to do that. You got to do that one. It's my favorite movie, so I'm I'm saving it. It's going to be hopefully maybe I can get somebody to interview me on it. <laughs> but <laughs> another thing is, uh, I remember as a kid, my dad was he delivered petroleum to people. He had like a little uh, motorboat, and he delivered petroleum to people that lived on like small islands off of the sound. And I would go with him on these delivery trips sometimes, and I would always always be like hanging over the side of the the boat watching for sharks like watching for fins the whole entire time just convinced that I was always going to see one every single time I the reason I'm getting into this is because there's a moment in this movie I find really interesting which is when Hooper when Hooper and 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 Brody find that missing boat uh and Hooper wants to get in the water and like dive and and look underneath it I also, later in life, I, I became a scuba diver in the Navy. And one of my jobs was like it, getting in the water uh, when there may or may not be sharks. Sometimes it was literally to watch for sharks for the safety of other swimmers. So what I sort of recognized for the first time watching this movie was Hooper's, uh, Hooper's a thrill seeker. Hooper wanted to survive a close he's, encounter with the He's obsessed. Sharks. He, he even says in that dinner scene that I mentioned before, he's, he's obsessed with sharks. He, he, yes. he loves, he actually loves sharks. Yes. You know, he, he is not um, hesitant to shoot one or blow one up when it comes to that, but uh, he wants to hang out with sharks. He, I think it's the adrenaline. I think he, he's seeking out the adrenaline of it. He was young too. I I, ju- yeah. I recently discovered Richard Dreyfus was twenty four years old when he shot that movie. Oh, he looks so yeah, like, he looks like a college kid. It's and everybody yeah. sort of like treats him like so a it college makes kid it makes sense. Town. He was he was really uh, perfectly cast. I mean, he's yes, got he's everybody. got this like full beard, but uh, Quint breaks his balls in the movie about how he's so young. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sidetrack you, but go ahead. No, man, this is this is this is you. This is perfect. This is what I want to hear. This the casting in this movie is perfect. You were talking about that scene with uh, Brody with his son when he's like mimicking his facial expressions. That scene is so good. I where did they get that kid? He's so such a good kid actor. It's it's this. You know, you could you could write this movie off 
as a as a monster movie in a lot of ways. But then you have these very like subtle moments that are really beautiful. Yes. And that's one of and them. That's... Ellen Ellen Brody uh is watching this mm. happen because I okay. think this is her she's watching the father become the son. And I love that scene so much because the the father is in so much pain. Do you remember what that scene immediately follows? What what comes right before it? One of the one of the great performances in the in the movie is uh, I mean Brody gets Brody gets slapped because it's uh, mm-hmm. Alex Kittner's mom. It's so sad because you just really feel so bad for this woman. And you see in the next scene with his son, that is, there's no words, but that's what's on his mind. If there was dialogue, that's what he'd be talking that's, about. Is like, that's I how just, I, as, when I was a kid watching the movie, I didn't get that. But same. you know where he, he gets the boat for his kid and he's like, uh, he's like, get him out of the water. And then Ellen Brody's like, what are you talking about? He's right by the dock. And then Ellen Brody looks at the book and she's like, Get out of the water, like you know. That's another great thing. Um, it's yeah. very subtle, and it's it's something that it's I these think teeny little nowadays, like those are those are the moments. Those are the moments in the movie that really sell it for me because those are oh, yeah. You're you're getting to know this family, you know. Yes, and a lot of movies nowadays don't have the patience for that sort of thing, like for that sort of subtlety. Because another thing that happens there is we start to see Brody's transformation. He's this rough and tumble uh, New York cop in a small town. Up until now, you know, he has his, his way of dealing with things. And when Hooper shows up, Hooper knows all of this science about sharks and sharks right. are the problem he's trying to solve. So right. he, you start seeing him every once in a while with like an encyclopedia open, or he is talking to Hooper and he knows some fact about sharks. Like, oh, I, I is it true that they attack, like um, most attacks occur within 10 feet of shallow water? And, and they, Hooper's like, yeah, they, that is get to, they get to know each other they get to know each other in the weirdest ways, which I, which mm-hmm. I've noticed about this movie. They like, like Cooper what? shows up and he's like, Hey, how you doing? Like, I'm going to, I'm here to help you out with this thing. I love this line. He, he shows up and he brings like a bunch of wine to the house. He sits down and he's like dressed all nice. He's got like a tie mm-hmm. on and stuff. He looks over at Brody and he says, how was your day? And Brody's just, so overcome with grief of what happened because he just got slapped in the face by this woman that had lost her son. And it's, it's this huge mess, you know, and, and Hooper, Hooper just sits down and he just goes, how's your day? He laughs to himself and he goes, swell. And I'm just like, well, it's such a a great, it's just such a great moment of acting between these two, these two actors, like, like really, really wonderful I think that's the thing that makes this movie stand the test of time is these characters. Yes. You know, absolutely. These characters, the way they relate to each other, um, the way that their interaction with each other changes all of them. Like this is a story about friendship, this movie. (laughs) So I think the casting is perfect. Soup to nuts. The, the beach hippies in the first scene. So, okay. We we have answered, is this, uh, does this movie, um, Sorry, we have answered what is a robot, what is a dinosaur, even if this movie didn't sufficiently answer them. We have we have a good enough answer. Favorite moments of the movie. Going back to the very beginning, there is one thing I, I just want to talk about while we're talking about the casting, the beach hippies. <laughs> the scene opens with like these people 
that are having like a beach bonfire. They're like, yeah. there's the dude. So Chris, Christine Watkins is our first uh, shark attack victim. Yeah. Christine Watkins is sitting there by herself. This gorgeous, gorgeous girl sitting on the beach by all by herself. Chrissy. And, who are you? Um, Chrissy. Where are you going? The person Swimming. That catches her, the person that catches her eyes is this dude. I wrote down, he, he's drinking a gas station coffee and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so that's what Chrissy goes for. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that in the 70s, that was like, that's how you get a date. Gas station coffee and, and light up a cigarette. So um, one thing I noticed is they were just having this sort of ambient. You noticed the like, Chrissy, Chrissy, I'm going swimming. I noticed for the very first time, and I've seen this movie probably 50 times. One of them says in the middle of their conversation, he's an amputee. I just heard that that sound bite pop out. And it was just like this very casual. He's Wait, an what? amputee. Uh, he's an who, amputee. Who's, who, sa- who says that? Just one of the beach. You know how it's like they're just talking and you, it's not really like it, there's no written dialogue. It's just like they put the extras on set. Okay. They're just, you know, having a conversation. Okay. Yeah. In there. And uh, one of the sound well, that made it into the into the movie was one of them the saying couple, something. But the couple that leaves the beach, the, it, yeah. it doesn't apply to them because obviously neither are it is an amputee. No, I got the sense that it was somebody like telling a story, you know, like around the around the bonfire, like just telling a story about. Something I never, and then just, I never noticed that. I never. It's not noticed even that. like a line in the movie. It's just like you know, like a like a background detail in the audio <laughs> that I just, I just, wow. my ear just happened to pick up on this time. But it oh. just shows you like how much went into every aspect of the production, right? Because these extras could have been talking about anything and they were having a discussion that like gives a little bit of ominous foreshadowing. And this is absolutely a horror movie. There's during when, when Chrissy and, and gas station coffee are um, running towards the ocean, there's the, the bit where he like falls down the dune and like tumbles. And yeah, um, cause he's, that's something he's, straight he's out of a hammered. horror movie. He's ha- I, I yes. guess that he's too drunk to get in the water. And that saves his life. That ends up saving his life, Absolutely. actually. I just said that this is a horror movie. Another way to look at this movie is, like Infinity War, <laughs> Jaws is the protagonist, right? In Infinity War, Thanos, the villain, quote-unquote, was the protagonist of the movie. It was from the villain's POV. Jaws, what is the, do you remember, what is the opening camera shot that we see? Of, of Jaws or of, of Jaws. Uh, Infinity War? Of Jaws, the very first camera shot. Oh, it's it's the it's the water. It's the yeah, only the shark it's vision. the only yeah. It's it's a I I mean I assume it's the shark traveling through the water, and we got that great yeah. We got that great score from John Williams, mm-hmm. Academy Award and winning score. Something that um, uh, we are gonna we're gonna circle back to talking about the score, especially in that very last scene, especially the absence of the score. Um, so hope we're gonna come back to the score. Something that's really neat in that scene when when Chrissy gets attacked, the mm-hmm. nature of the attack. I was saying they get the the shark science. I mean, a lot of it is is pseudoscience, and a lot of it is just like for the movie and dramatized. Right. Um, but there's some things that they really get right that make it much more terrifying because when she gets attacked, when Chrissy gets attacked. The shark like um, does what's called a drive-by or a hit. It it attacks her. You see her get pulled under for a second, and it lets her go. And it does that to her twice. Oh, oh um, my god! And so it's, she almost gets away. 
And that is the nature of shark attacks. That's how it, that's how it goes down. A lot of shark movies, you just see like this big dramatic, like, you know, it looks amazing as it jumps up and bites somebody in half because it's awesome and bloody. But that, the way this movie depicts it is how it happens. My favorite part of the movie is Quint's monologue. But that that first shark attack in the very beginning of the movie is just brilliant. Like movie magic. So they attached weights to her. And they had crew members pulling her back and forth to create the illusion of a shark underneath her, under the water. That's, that's intense. And that's, that's how they did that. And she was apparently fine, like, during the whole thing. So all of that, like, agony and screaming and all that stuff, that was just a great performance and terrifying. I remember seeing that because I've been watching this movie since I was a kid. And I remember just being so scared. You know what else this movie? Because she's just screaming her head off, you know? Yeah. Her performance is fantastic. And also they do the thing with the shark being implied and it's much scarier when it's implied. You just see only a fin or part of it. When, when they first discover the body of Chris, Chrissy, you see like mostly you see one shot of like a crab sort of walking out of her and you see her hand but and you see her hand but you mostly see the reactions the the movie wants to show you the reactions like the disgust on other people that are seeing it rather than showing the whole gratuitous shot yeah there's there's one there there's like i don't know his lieutenant or whatever gets there first and he like gets there and he like sits down and he pull, I'll never forget this. I don't know. I just always remember this. He pulls cause he was, he was a uh, blowing, blowing the whistle, right. For them mm-hmm. to come. And then he pulls the whistle out of his mouth and there's a little bit of like a line of spit. And it's just <laughs> like these teeny little things. These uh-huh. are like the teeny little things that I remember about this movie. Cause I've seen this movie a million times, but teeny little line of spit and and he's just like overcome with emotion and then Brody and the and the other guy come and find the body by the way you know what I read the other day you remember when Hooper is doing the the autopsy yes and he's like post-mortem gagging he pulls out out like the arm so Mm -hmm. they wanted to use the same arm in that shot of like the crab coming around the arm apparently didn't look realistic so they buried a crew member behind the dunes okay and had her arm like stick out movies like this are so dense with little details and like cool production stories crazy stories because it's like it's it's a it's a it's a low it's a low budget movie but it's it at the same time it's like riddled with problems and mm-hmm. it is a high budget movie i guess at the time you know it, it really yeah it rides this weird middle ground and it, and that's why it has such broad appeal too one well, doesn't um, that's why it doesn't it, play by today's standards you know yes yeah it's a patient movie it's a very stately movie it doesn't feel long it never feels like it drags there's no scene in it that feels unnecessary it, there that doesn't really add a lot to the character's there are so many, like I said, it's, it's really densely packed. And 
I think in this podcast, I might start a section called something I, I noticed while watching this movie for the hundredth time. Because <laughs> there's so many, like you and I have seen this movie, you know, probably a hundred times between us, between the right. two of us. And th- this time I noticed Brody's assistant, his secretary, that's giving him all of his messages. And one thing she says is a bunch of calls about that karate school. It seems those oh, yeah. nine-year-olds from karate-ing. the school have been... Cur- <laughs> Say it. Go, what's the line? They're 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 karateing the picket fences. They're karateing the picket fences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a great line. I would I um, would even I would even go further. I've noticed mm-hmm. so many things about this movie that don't really make sense to me. Like what? Well, one cool thing in my favorite scene of the entire movie, which we haven't even talked about, but we can talk about, uh, is the scene where Quint talks about the uh, Indianapolis, and it's his lo- long monologue. It's when they're all getting drunk at night. Um, I copied uh, I copied a piece of that monologue, Chris, because I am going to ask you to give me your reading of it. I want that to be like the outro of the episode. <laughs> right after that, the shark, right after that, the shark crashes into the uh, into the into the orca, and Almost like it, like it heard him, like it, like a like a beacon. Yeah, it heard them like getting along. Brody, there, there's a sh- there's a shot of Roy Scheider um, where he's get, he's getting his revolver out, and there's a shooting star that goes over his head, and that was real. It was just one of those like perfect moments, you know. Joffrey's comet, something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the port, the port's end of things to come. Yeah, that was going to be my um, something I think you don't know about this movie, but apparently you do. What a, what a in, <laughs> yes. insane yeah. coincidence that they had the camera at that angle and got it was, like, it was just it, it's it's not it, it's it's one of those things that you can't plan for um, you know? just so for listeners uh, so I can fill you in on like this whole detail because we're talking around it. There's a mm-hmm. bit um, I wrote down the timestamp because this is like really a really fun thing to look for if you've never seen it in this movie at uh, about an hour 36 and like seven seconds around there, a one hour, 36 uh, minutes and seven seconds. There's a shot where, as Chris said, Brody is is reloading his revolver and it's a low angle shot. So you can see the sky behind him and a red comet streaks through the sky, streaks through the sky behind him. And it is not an effect. It's not an a, uh, added uh, uh, visual effect or anything. It is uh, just something that they happened to catch on camera and actually shooting star. The another fun, the, a lot of fun, like background ambient sort of like the beach hippie line that I heard with the amputee stuff that I heard this time. There's the first shark attack on the, and everybody's on the beach and everyone's running towards it. One of the beach goers yells, doesn't anybody have a gun? <laughs> no, it's not Ben. It's when well, no, um, not the not the first not the first shark attack. No, the, it happens, the, when, it happens when, when Jaws Alex, is swimming into Alex the kid, pond. The, the, when kid, Alex, the kid. Yeah, yeah. And but so, I just think it's so funny that somebody yells, "Doesn't anybody have a gun?" Like, oh gosh, that's that's America right there. Like that's a little bit of an encapsulation. Like just the impatience. I mean, like, hey, there's a shark the around. They shot the movie in 1974, so I mean, yep. it might make a little bit more sense. Back totally, then. totally. It's like a, it's like a little weird time. When they show that, like, like 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 Brody, you know, society. they show they show Brody loading his revolver on the deck of a ship trying to oh. shoot a fish, whereas yep. like Quint, he does some damage. Is the one that's trying <laughs> to like catch the fish. How you catch how you catch a fish or how you catch a shark, Brody. You're not- 
those are wrong, he's but... he's reverting he's reverting to his New York cop. You're not mindset, you're not wrong. You know you're not wrong. But let's look at the scoreboard at the end of the movie. Uh, Brody has his way of doing things. Quinn has his way of doing things. Brody yeah, has but, the uh, yeah. sales New York cop with a revolver fighting a shark. And uh, I, I want to, I want to agree with you, but I will say that I will say this. I think just like sometimes people die, you know, and uh, Quint, it, it was, it was such, such an appropriate ending for this salty pirate dude to like die. Yeah. I don't want, I did you, he, he was, and, and by the way, he was my favorite uh, character in the movie. Oh, he's a, his, his, everything about his character is a masterpiece. You, when you see his home and he's got all of the like shark jaws, like huh, all of the yes. um, and he's boiling, he's boiling yeah. shark jaws that he had, of sharks that he had just caught. He made his own, he made his own like, like booze that yeah. he's giving to, to, to Hooper and, and Brody. Quint is a really great, um, representation of something that that I, I see a lot in sci-fi movies and especially ones that have to do with robots or dinosaurs and this movie vaguely qualifies but uh, Quint really represents the intersection of nature and technology and the resistance of progress and the resistance of like this is how we do things this is how we've done things and I think it's a really interesting representation of it for one thing you kind of said this that Quint's could not have met a more perfect end uh, than to be eaten by a shark. It, it was his entire life, his obsession, and it was some, It was almost like an inevitable conclusion for him. What I think is interesting is, is Quint has his rickety old wooden boat. He's got that, that leather strap that he gets into with his brass fishing pole holder, and he's got like all of these little things that are very analog when he's um, when he's trying to catch the shark on the line and attach the the barrels to it, and that the movie contrasts that directly with Hooper, who shows up, you know, with all of this technology and he's got these like range finders and, and fish finders and electronics. Quint, of course, criticizes Hooper's way of doing things because it's all futuristic and, and technical, and Hooper criticizes Quint's way of doing things. What is interesting to me, though is if you consider the fact that like Quint is resistant to new technology, but he's using technology against fish. He's using a diesel engine. He's using, you know, um, metal, metal crafted uh, tools to battle this natural thing. So um, I think he's a little bit of a hypocrite and <laughs> uh, that's my hot take on, on when it comes to Quint. What do you think? You know, he he probably wasn't raised on that. If I raised if on. I had to guess, if I had to guess about the character of Quint, I would say that he wasn't he wasn't raised on that stuff, and th- those things sort of took over. And oh no, I'd he, say he, I'd say he was raised on him. I'd say it's probably like this is the way Quint has always done things, and it's the way he'll die doing things. You know what I mean? No, no. What I what I mean, I I guess what I mean is, uh, he he wasn't raised on he he was just like rowing on a boat. Yeah, there was no engine. There was no uh, you know anywhere to go. There was just like a sail, and that's how he learned to do things. Well, he was on the Indianapolis, um, and the Indianapolis was a diesel boat. 
Uh, he was a because he was a he was a Navy sailor in, in yeah. the war. And he was on the yeah, diesel boat. I, just, I, I, thought, I thought you were talking about him as a child. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe maybe as a child, he like learned rope and sail sailing, like classic sailing. Yeah, that's, sailing. That's, what I, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of yeah. him like way back, like when he first, when he first learned how to, how to get out there. So, but if we're speculating that he adapted he does, at some he point. Does say, he, d- he does say, he does say. I'll never put on a life jacket again. Never put on a life jacket again. Yep. So that's that's his trauma of the Indianapolis. I'll never put yeah. on a life jacket again. Yeah, I don't think he's against the old way of sailing or or any of that stuff, but I think he's I think he's very much I think he's very much just traumatized. I think that makes sense. I yeah, I thought I thought to... you were talking. I thought you were talking about like way back with him, before no. before the Indianapolis. No, but it's it's all speculation at the end of the day. Let's actually let's move on because we're still sort of talking about favorite moments and trivia, sort of hand in hand. But I do really want to unpack that that scene a little bit more and that whole entire yeah. sequence, that whole entire boat trip. When they're talking about, are you going to close the beaches? Brody says yes, and then immediately the, the whole crowd like screams. There's an up, uproar, and I just wrote down uh, once again: profit is more important than human lives. Oh God! <laughs> and then and then Quint and then Quint just like scratches his on the nails, his fingers. Nails are, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, the it's ma- so agonizing. The mayor is more upset. He's like visibly yelling at, at Brody about the vandalism of the sign. He's more angry about that than he is about one of his citizens getting mauled by a shark. There's a lot of stuff oh, yeah. where like property is more valuable than human lives. One of my favorite moments of the entire movie is where they finally like humanize the mayor. And he it's it Brody pulls him in, you know, they're at the hospital and Brody pulls him behind the the curtain and he's like, sign this, we're gonna hire Quint. And then yeah, he says, he says, listen to me, my kids were on that beach too. But then yep. part of me, I'm just like, well, you just answered the, all of the questions. If your kids were on that beach, then you need to sign this paper and let's get rid of this shark. And it's uh, it's it's a really powerful moment because that's the first time that you see this guy vulnerable. You yeah, know, he's, he's such a clown up until then. He's got he's got like a yeah, different he's kind of, um, he's, blazer. He's, he's clownish. Like, he's clownish. He's got like the anchor anchors on it, the the steam anchors yeah. on his blazer and stuff. And like, yeah, he's a little bit of a clown, a little bit of like a cartoonish politician. But I like that the movie doesn't but that, really just be one, that, one dimensional. That moment, that moment was so great because it's it's because Brody yeah. is like this shark almost killed my kid, and we're talking about like three dead people mm-hmm. in the last couple of days. So, like, you need to sign this thing, and we're gonna kill. We're gonna like pay this guy whatever he wants. There is no August. You're the mayor of Shark City. Good line. <laughs> Yeah. Brody, in my version of this movie, where they are half of the Avengers team, Brody is Captain America. Brody is the leader of this team, and he's adaptable. He adapts on the fly. He learns. He's, a, he's tactical. When he joins up with Quint's crew, he immediately 
is on board with Quint's demands that like, I'm the captain, you listen to me, you're the captain. And he, and he just is there. He knows I'm here to learn. I'm not a sailor. I need to learn all this stuff. And you start to see like in just these little montages, Brody's sailing skills and his, his linemanship and like his um, line handling skills and stuff like that, just his general seamanship. Uh, he's learning and he's improving. And it's because he's got this like grit. He's got this determination. You know, he's got a goal and he will like this, this shark is going down because our protagonist will not rest. He will do what it takes. He will learn what he needs to learn. And he's got that grit and determination, just like Captain America. And his team consists of Hooper is obviously Iron Man. Uh, Hooper brings a lot of like the technology, right? And he's also got this very cocky, kind of snarky attitude. He's the jokester. He always pulls a quip out of his back pocket, clearly like a Tony Stark. And then Quint sure. is, of course, uh, Thor, specifically Thor in Endgame, <laughs> when he started giving up and uh, is drunk all the time and, and like living by the sea. <laughs> so, but the reason I really said Quint is Thor, Thor um, and Quint is absolutely sure of himself. He's got no, no wavering whatsoever in his confidence, in his abilities, especially in battle. He is going to battle. So that's what this is for him. For Brody, this is a problem he has to solve. For Hooper, this is a, a thrill. This is part of his life's work. This is his career, right? A feather in his cap. For Quint, this is a battle for, for like his soul, maybe. Like it, there's nothing more important. Than I would this reverse, I would reverse that actually. Oh, please. I think, I think Hooper, Hooper is, is young and he's a researcher and Quint, Hooper's Quint is the one, Quint is the one that if he lives or dies, he doesn't, he's done this a million times. He's the old grizzled vet that, that this is the, I'm sorry to disagree with you, but. Please do. No, it's, it's not interesting if we're just agreeing with each other for now. So. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Hooper, Hooper's the researcher. He's the guy, he's the guy yeah. that's trying to like figure things out. So does that make him Bruce Banner? So yes, it's a very. I, weird, I will. Uh, I will say. I will say that yes, yes. Brody is. Brody is Captain America for sure. Um, At least we agree on that. One one thing is Brody calls um, the shark by its proper name every, every most of the time when he talks about it. He either says Great White or whatever the other person calls it. Like yeah. Hooper calls it the Rogue. Hooper also calls it by the scientific name. So I would say yes. that, yes, Hooper definitely is the Banner character. So okay. Hooper is the Hulk, but without being the Hulk. So I would say that that's, he is Banner. That's why I think yeah. he's he's Iron Man, because um, he's got the quips, too. He's got the snark. He's, he's got the personality. Like, he's very sociable. Quint, um, Quint is Bruce probably... Quint is awkward. I would say that Quint. I would say that Quint is Iron Man because he's the oldest one. He's the cockiest one. Thor is technically the oldest Avenger. And yeah, but Quint, that that doesn't. Ca- I'm I'm talking about like in the MCU <laughs> like timeline. You know, you yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I yeah. know what you're talking about. Um, um, and the other, yeah. So, um, but Thor Thor isn't like Thor isn't like him. Thor isn't like him, even even in his uh, drunken state. He's not really like him. I would say that Quint is more like Tony Stark in that he's so essential to the mission. But you know what? He's a pain in the ass. 
He's a little bit older. My main argument is I don't think Quint has the charm or the personality to be Tony Stark, to be Iron Man. Oh, no. But for the purposes of of dinosaurs versus robots, Quint definitely represents like the dinosaur way of doing things. Hooper absolutely represents the robot, the future, the technology way of doing things. And I think that's that is a very interesting clash that we see represented in those characters, in the story itself. And this brings me to my next, my big, one of my big questions in this movie. And I, I, I don't have an answer to this. I really want to know what you think of this. Quint tells that story about the Indianapolis and right at the end of it, they do the montage into, into morning light and the shark attacks, like the shark starts ramming the boat. Is the shark mad at the boat? Uh, does, the, does, does the shark think the boat is something big, but slow that it can outrun and kill? Or is Jaws actually smart enough to know that people are on board the boat, operating the boat, and it has to try to knock them off of it or something? Like, what level is of, of planning and tactics is the shark operating on when it's ramming the boat? You know, this is one of those, this is one of those questions that can never really be answered. I don't, I don't know. I do know this much, is that, the attack of the shark after that scene is a perfectly orchestrated. It's it's one of the great endings to a scene that I can think of because it's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Is Quint just having this long monologue about sharks and about this experience that he had, and then the next thing that happens is like boom. There's this sh- the shark that they're going after attacks the boat. I don't Nature know. I mean, it back. doesn't, Nature's... it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. It Life makes finds sense. A way. <laughs> exactly. It makes yeah. sense in, in terms of the storytelling because that um, shark has to, has to attack them. Um, Cause it, it, it's, it gets to the point where it starts chasing them uh, inland. And, and it seems like Quint's fatal mistake is that he didn't start turning inland, luring the shark inland early enough. I think Hooper Makes he a wants comment to catch, later that he wants to catch the shark, whereas right, and he's Hooper, Hooper and Brody are like, "Let's let's go to shore." They comment that the shark is leading Quint out deeper and to see when they should be leading it in, and I think that's Quint has already made a mistake at that point. That's going to cost him his life because he's he's covered, uh, he's gone too far deep, and he mm-hmm. can't get the upper hand by the time the boat is smashed to pieces. That right there is like classic, like man versus nature. Like you think Hubris. you think you can beat this, Hubris. but it's like you can't you can't beat this. He can't win, and then there's these other two guys that are like along for the ride, and they're trying to tell him they're so close to shore. And it's one of the only times in the movie, especially in that third act, where they show the shoreline. They show the shoreline during the the like some of the last moments of the movie because they're so close, you know, they're so close to home. Yeah, something I didn't really think of as a kid watching this movie for the first time. I remembered watching when I was a kid, loved the ending, and I loved Brody and Hooper 
paddling together um and he's like you gotta keep yeah. oh my god it looks impossible like they survived but like now they're just gonna drown because they're just stuck in the middle no of the they're ocean. close but yeah i never really noticed that detail they had they had done that ground. they had laid that foundation one of the one of the great one of the great details shore. one of the great details of of that ending is that there's there's seagulls and it's just like it's just like one of those teeny little things I'm like we were talking about this earlier about like you know, the, there's these little moments in this movie that are, they tell a million stories. You know what I mean? They, they, do, they do. And we see the, um, we see the origin of a lot of Spielberg's techniques that he, he starts using later on. There's a lot of like his camera work it, it, it came out of this movie. A lot of like tricks and iconic shots that he it's uses. second movie, movies, you know? Also the, the whole premise of what he, what, what that this movie was a teaching experience for him. And he learned the value of hiding your monster or not showing it, not showing the whole thing right away. Jurassic Park uses a lot of w- the lessons you learned yeah. in that movie. You don't see a yeah. dinosaur until like half an hour into the movie. You don't see any yeah. of the scary ones until much later. The very first scene is a dinosaur eating somebody, but you don't, just like in Jaws, you don't see the uh, Joffrey, the gatekeeper um, in Jurassic Park. He gets, he gets eaten by the raptor. It's very similar where it like, Bites him, pulls him one way. He almost gets away. It bites him again. Like pulls him. Yeah, pull, like it's like it's dragging they don't him show, under. They don't show. Um, they don't show the monster. They don't show the monster. They don't need to yeah. show the monster. And Spielberg also uh, later on in Jurassic Park, there is a bit where they feed the raptors. They lower a an entire. You don't Not see a it. Get eaten. Of, you don't like see a raptor. A yeah, you don't see a raptor at all. You just see when they pull the. The big like, yeah. uh, but when they pull the metal, when they pull the rigging out on the metal winch, it's mangled. falling apart. The metal is all mangled. And yeah. when Hooper gets attacked in the shark cage, Brody and Quint pull the shark cage back up and it's exactly the same thing. It's uh, right. the thing just like kind of falls apart. They don't see Hooper. And it's just that implied terror. It's so effective. I Yeah, I love this movie watch. so much. It's, it's, uh, it's really incredible. I want to talk about what I think is what I think is my favorite mo- moment of the movie. I have so many that I probably mentioned already <laughs> that I'm that I would gush over, but I think my number one favorite moment of the movie because it's one of my favorite lines in movie history. Do you know what line it is? Uh, you're going to need a bigger boat. That's a great one. Technology, fighting nature. Okay, so for, for those of you who have listened this far and you have not seen Jaws, I'm going to spoil the ending of Jaws for you. <laughs> Brody is cornered by the shark, the nearest thing that he can grab, and he tosses the tank into the shark's mouth. It gets stuck behind its teeth. He just waits, bobbing in, in the current with his rifle, waits for the right shot to line up and says, <laughs> smile, you son of a bitch. And that, you know what's- the explosion is so fun. The, the shark bits raining down. <laughs> so much fun. It's so much fun, but you know what's you know what's interesting, and I was thinking about this the other day, is that you know you could chalk that up to him having this like great final action movie line, which we've seen in so many movies. But he does want the shark to smile because if the shark smiles, he will be he will have a better chance of shooting shooting the thing and blow and blowing up the shark. Yep. So he's saying so he it's 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 actually a very very earnest. It's a very earnest, awesome like kill line. 
<laughs> it really is. And scuba gear is the technology that we humans invented so that we could, as part of our conquest of the sea, we as a species have decided long ago that we need to conquer every square inch of this planet. And we're going to develop and yeah. adapt uh, technology and build new inventions and, and types of vehicles until we achieve that goal. And scuba tanks are a piece of technology that we invented for that purpose. So we could conquer the sea. So we could go into the sea like fish and breathe. And that is what is used to defeat this monster from the sea is like the thing that we're using to infiltrate its territory in the first place. Man, I've seen a lot of movies that are inspired by Jaws, uh, which is almost every movie that came after it. A lot of movies inspired by Jaws that try to replicate this ending. And the mistake they always make is it's it's always contrived. The way that they get the monster into whatever corner or however they set their trap, it's always contrived. Brody is cornered in this boat. It, it destroyed half the boat already. It's climbing up on top of the boat. It's going to get to him. And he's just like frantically looking around. And the nearest thing just happens to be a scuba tank that was like untethered. Like it could have been anything. It's, it's, it's not like he had this, he came up with this plan. Hey, if we can trick the, the shark into eating the tank, that's step one. Then we do this and that's step two. It was just like, I'm, I got to use my resources. And he's that kind of movie protagonist where he's resourceful. He just uses the hand that's dealt to him. He he's really he's really struggling at the end of it. He's got yeah. he's got a gun. He's got he's got a rifle, but he also yep. has just just like a like a spear. And the yep. shark comes up as the boat is sinking, and he's like poking the shark with the spear, like just trying to kill it. It doesn't work. Shark yeah, he's goes like away. A Spartan. He's like a Spartan warrior in that moment. Like, yeah, I, I I remarked that he really reminded me of like this classic statue of a warrior, like handling two different kinds of weapons, fighting this thing, this, this Colossus larger this crazy than crazy thing. Yeah. And he it's, has it's no, really epic. it's truly epic. He has no reason to believe that he's going to live through this. He's going to struggle he's like, at the end. He's like, I got to kill this thing. Now that I think about it, he has a real hero's journey through this thing. Like he, he's aware of the thing. But then in the middle act of the of the movie, the thing goes after his family. He's like, I'm I'm going to kill this thing because it's going after my family. Two questions. One, did they use a mechanical shark in any of the sequels? I would imagine so. I am I am not a fan of the sequels, so I haven't looked into those. I am a huge fan of Jaws 4, The Revenge, starring oh God, really? Michael Kine. Because I I love dude, that I love that you love this movie because it's you know so why bad. I love it do, because do you know it's so bad. It? Yeah, that's part of it. It's it's one of those movies I had on VHS as a kid. So that's I mean it, it's just I don't love it on purpose. I just love it because it's a movie. It's a movie that I was able to watch a lot. And so <laughs> I love you're that. talking about I love that I I love that movie because it's a movie. Well, you're talking about the shark coming after Brody's family. That movie makes it literal. That thing swims all the way to the Bahamas to get revenge on Brody's like ex-wife and their kid. It's, it's that's not what I, first of all, that's not what I was talking about. That's not what I was talking about. Jaws four. <laughs> no, you're talking about when, when Brody's kid gets attacked in this movie. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying in the first, movie, the only movie that you need to worry <laughs> about. 
So uh, our <laughs> listeners can't, you, you're saying our listeners should not get excited that uh, you're going to come back for a Jaws 4 podcast? Oh man, you know what? I, I would, I absolutely would, but I feel like I should come back for Jaws 2 first, right? Because that's, yeah, that's the next one in the series. Look, we, um, as long if you, as, if as, you long will, as, if you will, if you will have me back, here's my rule. As long as they, as long as we can verify that they used a robot shark in the production, uh, <laughs> then we can justify it because you're very strict with it. Yeah. No, listen, I'm perfectly fine with the fact <laughs> that we're covering, uh, jaws on this robots versus dinosaurs podcast, because the name of the podcast is robots versus dinosaurs. But what, but what my thesis, what we're talking about is nature clashing with technology, right? That's what we've been, I'd say that's the main theme we've been discussing around, centered around this movie, Jaws. Would you agree with that, sort of? Or would you say I, there's I another would, bigger I would, theme? I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, Lou, may I, may I tell one just little tidbit about Jaws? I just wanted to say, just because we're both actors, and I, I, I feel like we both have a sense of integrity as far as acting goes. So Robert Shaw, he, he passed away like a couple years after Jaws, like three years after Jaws was shot, 1979, I think. He was an alcoholic, huge drinker. When he was doing the monologue during the Indianapolis scene, he was so hammered. There was, there was nothing they could use. And the story goes that at one point, Richard Dreyfus grabbed the the drink out of his hand and like threw it into the ocean, which is amazing. But then later, later that same night on that first night, he called, he called Steven Spielberg and he was like, listen, I'm really sorry. Can I get another shot at this? Mm. And then the following night they shot in one take what we, what we've seen. So it's just, it's, I, I feel so bad for this guy. Cause it's like, I feel like he really struggled, you know, later in his life. Can I ask you, because I, I wasn't looking for this. Um, is that, it, it, you said it's a one take, it's shot as like a one, it's a one or like. Well, they cut away, they cut away to Brody and all that mm. stuff, but they shot, they only, they only did it one time. Yeah, you. It sounds like that, that definitely his time. his recording or like whatever his performance of it. It definitely sounds like just one, like a like a stage act, just doing a monologue all the way through. I, I'm actually more uh, not familiar with, but I remember learning in high school that Robert Shaw was like a really big stage actor. He, um, yeah, in an English class once big we watched time. a version. I think it was Classic, classically um, trained actor Richard the yeah. Third or something where he played the king. So it was some some Shakespeare movie where he was, um, but yeah, he's he's just a fantastic actor. Died too soon. You, yeah, I just looked it up. It was 1978. So yeah, just uh, like yeah. like you said, three years. Yeah, after three years. Movie. Three years later. Yeah. The most tragic part of that is that they couldn't get him to come back for Jaws Four: The Revenge. <laughs> Michael Caine. I. <laughs> Is that the most tragic part? Is that, that is really the most tragic? Most tragic uh, Chris, that's the most tragic event that's happened in both of our lifetimes. Sure. Now, do you have anything left to say about Jaws or about the production of it or around it before I give my final sort of thoughts on it? Yeah, I have a really funny story. Okay. So the woman that played, this is like one of those like fun facts. 
So the woman that played Alex Kittner's mom, years later, I guess this was in the 90s or maybe the early 2000s, I don't really know. She went into a restaurant and she saw on the menu, there was a sandwich called the Alex Kittner sandwich. And she was like, she told the waiter, I was Alex Kittner's mom in Jaws. Like this, this sandwich is named after my fictional fictional son. The owner of the restaurant came out and said, Hey, I was your son. So the owner of the restaurant was, was the Alex Kittner. Yeah. That's crazy. That's weird. He had named this sandwich after like his role that he had in in jaws and they had this this huge reunion that is a really fun piece of trivia thank you for that chris my final thoughts on on jaws in the context of what we've been talking about the bigger boat line you're going to need a bigger boat really exemplifies this whole thing that we've been circling around and that you articulated really well with brody's final battle against jaws um this man versus nature thing, our, our, our need to conquer. Jaws itself, the, the movie is named Jaws. Uh, the very first opening shot is from Jaws's perspective. And we see Jaws's tragic downfall. We see Jaws trying to survive in a world that, that Jaws is not fit for. It's, it's a world of humans. We've, we've, we've uh, co-opted it for ourselves and we've even co-opted parts of the sea um, the hunting grounds of this of this beast we've we've co-opted for ourselves. And when when humans and nature both want the same thing, humans almost always win inevitably at the end. And it's almost always tragic as a result. I have got two bonus questions. Chris, this section of robots versus dinosaurs is called What's your snack? What's your snack? Skittles, yeah! This is a section of the podcast that we're, uh, we're, we're more clearly defining as time goes on. Uh, when you watch movies, when you go to the movie theater, do you have a favorite snack? And now that we're all, um, well, for the past few months, have been unable to go to the movie theaters, is there a favorite snack that you like at home while you're watching? Whether I'm in the movies or out of the movies, I go with Sprite or Skittles. Taste the rainbow. Very good. Okay. I, uh, okay. For, for this movie, I got some, I was at, I just happened to be at the, at the checkout line at the pharmacy when I like on my way home before I was going to watch this movie a couple nights ago. This is a very unnecessary story just to say that I got gummy peaches um, and I ate gummy peaches. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with, Jaws, it's not really on theme, but I did, you know, every time I bit into one, uh, pretend that I was Bruce the shark chomping through a human leg. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. I like to I like to have fun with my snacks while I'm watching a movie. Chris, my second bonus question. Let me preface this just a little bit. I don't know where I got this question from. It's not an original thought. One day a listener is gonna is gonna hear this podcast. And they're going to be like, oh, this is where you got this idea from. And then I'm going to be able to sleep at night. Until then, I'm just going to keep asking every guest. And I think it's a fun question. If the two leads in this movie, and we will have to establish who the two leads are. If the two leads in this movie were replaced by Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg, would this movie be improved? 
And what would the casting be? So I think um, I would argue Jaws and Brody are the two leads, but you could definitely take any two characters that you want to replace with these two actors. So go ahead. Danny DeVito would have to be Quint and Whoopi Goldberg would be Brody. Okay, so neither and then of them are Hooper. Sharks. Hooper would be. I, 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 I don't think it's the shark. The shark is the shark. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't. don't I see don't DeVito, see. No, no, Jaws. not absolutely no. not. <laughs> I don't know. I started thinking about Ghost, and I, I was missing. I was sort of missing Patrick Swayze, and I think Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze. Patrick Swayze would be a pretty good Hooper, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. Um, I, I might cast Patrick Swayze as Quint just to put another drop in my bucket of my argument that uh, Quint is Thor because Patrick Swayze, point break. <laughs> um, so <laughs> your logic works too. Uh, <laughs> okay, awesome. I, I, think, I think I would cast DeVito as the shark. I got to cast DeVito as Quint. I mean, come on. I've, uh, I've got to see DeVito like naked flopping on the deck like trying to eat ha- quint but legs up you're you're um, thinking you're thinking of you're thinking of the penguin i think a little too much and uh and that's I, where think, that's where I'm the DeVito a, image is coming into your mind maybe no i'm i'm thinking of i'm linking that image of of um jaws flopping on the deck of the orca uh yes. smashing all the, the planks um, I'm linking that image to DeVito squirming naked out of the leather couch in that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Which I have never seen one episode of. Okay, so another visual I am reference. Very, I am very, uh, I knew you were going to be upset with me. And it's okay. That's, this is, I'm going I'm not upset. based solely on his movie work. Because I have no, not, not, I've you not watched that show or every show, but another another visual similarity: Ace Ventura two when he's when Ace Ventura is is climbing out of the rhino out of the and he's rhino, like rhino's butt, flopping yeah. like a fish, half naked. So, um, <laughs> if I could see Devito doing that, eating Quint, the other thing I need to see with this recasting, I just I just need Whoopi Goldberg aiming a rifle at a scuba tank and saying, smile, you son of a bitch. Oh, I love that. I'm yeah. not going to even attempt a Whoopi Goldberg impression. I, I need to hear her do it one day. She's, so. she's, she's sort of one of these, one of these actors that I don't know. It's very hard to do an impression of her. Oh yeah. No. And she's actually, she's very good at impressions too. If you watch any yeah. of like her early standup, um, she's a really good impressionist. My pool of impressions of like people I can do impressions of is pretty limited as it is. And Whoopi Goldberg is, is a very iconic uh, voice, so I, I I couldn't even. I'm not even going to try. Chris, in conclusion, does this movie do any favors, or does it make uh, robots or dinosaurs look bad? Um, the the running tally in episode one. Um, this is not a spoiler, but we did cover Big Hero Six. It ended up being a plus one for robots. The robots were really cool in that movie. We liked them, and that doesn't have to be your reason. But would you give this movie a plus one or a minus one for either robots or dinosaurs? I would I would give this I would give this like sort of a two steps forward, one step back uh, type of thing. So I would get I guess I guess a three. I a mean, wash. if if you're ask, if you're asking me for my rating of of this movie, five 
two thumbs up mm-hmm. all the way. It's one of my favorite movies that, of all time. But if you're agreed, asking that's me not, that our question, listeners are are here for the battle between robots and dinosaurs. I will say, I will say three. I will say three. Because not a uh, possible outcome, but okay. <laughs> well, it's not. How did it get a three? <laughs> it got a it got a three because uh, it's it's not overtly about robots or dinosaurs. Okay. Inherently, it, like it's about it's it, about a, it's a plus prehistoric one minus one system, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah, I'm giving it a three. <laughs> It's not. I want to give. I want to give it. What, what I. I think. Uh, what we just did together is yeah. a five. Lovely. Let me. Let me reword the question because we. Um, it, it, it. We need. We need. We need this movie to be counted in the overall equation. So let me ask the question a different way. The the robots that are represented. The the three robots that are represented in this movie or used in this movie. Do they represent robots in a positive way? Or a negative way, positive way, very positive. Way. They're good for the ro- the image of robots. This movie has stood the test of time. It's very good for the image of robots. You can you can say what you want to say about like movies not aging well or whatever, but this movie this movie is incredible. The shark, you know, we talked about how the shark had all these problems during filming, but you know what? It looks great on film to this day. Mm-hmm. And so you know what? Agreed. I got I'm I'm giving it a five. I'm giving it awesome. a five. So that sounds like a plus one for robots. What about for dinosaurs? It could be zero if you don't think dinosaurs were represented in a justifiable way. We can just say zero. Uh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a five just because the, the this so entire movie. I, no, only, be, only because only because it's it's a <laughs> you're talking about you're talking about prehistoric creatures. Yeah, yeah. and, and a, a shark. I want to. I want a soundbite of me saying this so that I don't get comments. A shark is not a dinosaur. I know that a shark is not a dinosaur. A shark is not a dinosaur. A dinosaur is not a shark. A shark is not a dinosaur. I know that. Thank you, message board. Thank you, comments. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you know the internet. Uh, I. I'm giving it a five because it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a prehistoric creature. This is the whole reason, okay. you know, why we okayed this this movie to be talked about. Yeah. You know, listen, so, I want them yeah. both to get a plus one. I want I want robots and dinosaurs to get a plus one, but it's not up to me. I just can't get you to say the words plus one. <laughs> and I think that's wait a minute. Theory. I thought five is the highest. Yeah. No. Listen. One is that plus, listen, Chris, I'll explain the, the, the whole but, rating system see, again. It's minus one, zero, <laughs> or plus one. And it's just, just, not for the whole movie, it's just for the robots or the dinosaurs or both. Plus one, plus one. I mean, I, yes, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. And I can't say enough good things about it. Plus one, plus one. Okay. I'm, I'm happy with those results because with Jaws, I was, I'm going to be honest, going into it, really only going to be comfortable covering this movie on the podcast if it ended up, if those were the results. Because if, if it ends up being, not, this movie doesn't tip the scales one way or another, right? 
it gives both of them a plus one. If it had given both of them a minus one or a zero, I also would have been happy with that outcome. But you know what, Chris? I'm happy with the outcome of us sitting here, hanging out, and talking about a movie that we both love, hearing why you love it, especially, um, because it's very, very important to you. It's very near and dear to your heart. Would you say, uh, if I could just ask you like a personal question, does this movie have anything to do, like the, you, you have so much reverence um, you talked so much about the great performances, the inspiring performances in this movie. Does this movie, do those performances have anything to do with you becoming an actor? Maybe a little bit. I'm not sure. You know, it's it's one of those movies that I've been watching ever since I was, before I even knew about becoming an actor. I've been watching this movie since since I was like a little, little kid. And, so maybe it planted uh, a seed. Yeah, I think I think the seed got planted and it was probably it was probably Robert Shaw and that monologue and just just, you know, just to go back to like those characters are just they're just such such incredible actors and such really, really great supporting characters too. you know, Murray Hamilton, Lorraine Gray, like these were great supporting characters. It's an amazing movie. It's a it's it's really just a huge piece of work. That's why I wanted to talk to you about it today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get, I guess so. Yeah, this this movie is a huge milestone in films in general, and in a big way in sci-fi, which is the the main uh, topic of of this podcast is sci-fi. This movie is a lot of things. It's it's horror. It's a family drama. I, I argued earlier it's a movie about friendship, and it's definitely sci-fi. Um, again, I would say because of the abomination that this shark is that's that's a harsh political word for it but like the mutation the shark is is a supernatural shark it's it's natural but it's supernatural my focus with the last episode and this one i mean it's easy because these are movies that i love so i'm already going to come to the table with you know a lot of admiration and and positive things to say but i i really it is my goal to keep this podcast a positive thing. Like we can definitely disagree and I want to keep yeah. things like that where we debate over things, I, but I never, ever, ever want to devolve into like, oh, did you see what we did on screen? And like how- I don't like doing that anyway. So it's like, I, I you know, I if, you ever, if you ever want to do this again, I am so down. Yeah, it was great to have you on the show. And thank you very much, Chris Behan, for talking to us about Jaws on Robots versus Dinosaurs. And now, a dramatic reading of monologues from Jaws. You all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. Bad fish, not like going down the pond chasing bluegills and tommy cods. This shark swallow you whole. A little shaking, a little tenderizing, down you go. We got to do it quick. That'll bring back your tourists. Put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not going to be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3000 bucks, chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. But you got to make up your minds. You want to stay alive and ante up. You want to pay it cheap, be on welfare the whole winter. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's just too many captains on this island. 
$10,000 for me and myself for that head to tail the whole damn thing.